0: And really, it was a wonderful tea. There was a nice brown egg, lightly boiled for each of them, and then sardines on toast, and then buttered toast, and then toast with honey, and then a sugar-topped cake. And when Lucy was tired of eating, the fawn began to talk. He had wonderful tales to tell of life in the forest. He told about the midnight dances, and how the nymphs who lived in the wells, and the dryads who lived in the trees, came out to dance with the fawns. About long hunting parties after the milk-white stag who could give you wishes if you caught him. About feasting and treasure-seeking with the wild red dwarves in deep mines and caverns far beneath the forest floor. And then about summer, when the woods were green and old Selenus on his fat donkey would come to visit them, and sometimes Bacchus himself, and then the streams would run with wine instead of water, and the whole forest would give itself up to jollification for weeks on end. Welcome back. Thanks for joining Megan, Annika, and myself for part two of our discussion of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We begin where we left off, talking about what aspects of Narnia are consistent from book to book. We'll also talk about beavers and their ways, the actual love lives of fawns, sword-wiping etiquette, Aslan's strange moods, and whether Father Christmas wasn't just the White Witch's good twin from Charn. It's the Inklings Variety Hour! I was pointing out last time that the Christian life
1: is simply a process of having your natural self changed into a Christ self. knows what's important <laughs> exactly and it's that's not right. the backstory right. of the white witch it's no. that fawns like to romp in the woods on the dancing lawn like yeah
0: also that you should probably trust people who smoke and and not people who are vegetarians <laughs> and don't like christmas
1: <laughs> uh, that's
0: also very consistent uh, uh,
1: well played
0: yeah um, yeah, um, so we're running a little bit long talking about the beginning, but he kind of does that. Um, like the beginning <laughs> of this book is quite long. So
1: we're we're just like C.S. Lewis. Yeah. So is there
0: is there is there anything <laughs> else about like the beginning that you all would like to would like to talk about?
1: Uh, just so I'm clear, so chapters one through seven. Okay. Goodness gracious me. Um, is what happened after dinner part of chapter seven or eight? No, that's it chapter eight. eight. Mm-hmm. Mm okay good um ooh, chapter seven though does have when aslan like the first mention of aslan mm-hmm. uh, and the the spell weaving that lewis does um, when they say aslan is on the move perhaps has already landed And now a very curious thing happened. None of the children knew who Aslan was any more than you do, but the moment the beaver had spoken these words, everyone felt quite different. Um, And then he goes on, at the name of Aslan, each one of the children felt something jump in its inside. Edmund felt the sensation of mysterious horror. Peter felt suddenly brave and adventurous. Susan felt as if some delicious smell or some delightful strain of music had just floated by her. And Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and realize that it is the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. And uh, this whole, so first the, the really succinct way Lewis packs a lot of um, character explanation uh, just in their reactions uh, and, and how you, you look for their reactions to tell you about them. Like how, how did they respond to Aslan? Um, And then the way this is, Lewis is weaving a spell and I, I skipped over the, perhaps it has sometimes happened to you in a dream that someone says something which you don't understand, but in the dream, it feels as if it has some enormous meaning, either a terrifying one, which turns the whole dream into a nightmare or else a lovely meaning too lovely to put into words, which makes the dream so beautiful that you remember it all your life and are always wishing you could get into that dream again. It was like that now. Um, and that in a book filled with very short sentences, here is one paragraph of text that, that just runs on with this, um, this momentum that, uh, as a child, it, certainly cast a spell on me and it reminds me of um lewis's work in the weight of glory when he he is trying to weave a spell and he talks about that sangzooks that longing for for glory that we all feel and he in trying to capture it he said you know it's like trying to um remember music you've never heard, um, or the scent of a flower you've never smelled, or he, he hear news from a country you've never visited, um, you're overhearing something that wasn't meant for you, but it has this, it's so evocative and so punchy at the same time, and I, I think as, I, I love that he did it often enough in his non-fiction as, as well as his fiction, and he didn't, he didn't think children weren't worthy of it either um and i i just am so thankful for that spell casting anyway um megan i think you had some some thoughts on this too or some reactions on this on aslan's name yeah
2: oh yes um well just as a child i mean that's first reading them i mean i was just in like essentially in love with Aslan without fully understanding why. Yeah. Which I guess kind of what happened to the children already, they also who don't fully they don't even know he's a lion at this point. They they're just like, ooh, this name has evoked something in me. Um and we need to find out what it is. Well everybody except for Edmund <laughs> who doesn't <laughs> want to find out what it is at this point. At this point. Um mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I I mean just you know there's I mean there's something powerful I too about names mm. um that I think Lewis is also pointing to um that names matter um which is also I think very, very uh, if i i think it's very medieval is is that a medieval idea as, as well
0: <laughs> sure i mean i, mean, I guess I think
2: it's medieval honestly <laughs> yeah there you go
0: it's it's pretty it's i taken. mean
2: yeah
0: yeah it's it's pretty uh it's pretty universal yeah, it's pretty universal yeah names names just have are, are loaded with meaning, um, except for in you know in societies where we sort of uh, dissect to the point that yes. um, you know that that we're that we're sort of skeptical that anything has sort of mystical yes. uh, values. <laughs> Maybe we can talk about that more when we talk about Barfield because um, that's a <laughs> uh, uh, pretty Ooh? big. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I'm
2: I'm sorry, Barfield.
0: <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, um, um, yeah. I think I think just to continue to grind my axe. Um, that's um, that, that's another reason why this works is the first book because this is a great introduction to Aslan, um, and if you already know who he is, if you already know he's a lion, you will not be surprised or thrilled when you you know read that he is right um and, and and the mystery will not will be dulled will, will not be there should we talk about tumness or the beaver beavers
1: yeah oh. like <laughs> i didn't know fawns were freaky until i was oh, they're totally freaky yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah they're i mis- thought
1: fawns were like friendly yeah. little wood elves but um i also had the wrong view of elves so
0: <laughs> why, why do you all think that and this is a question i, I put somewhere in the in the outline that you know that, that we kind of why why do you all think the fawn uh tumness is the person is the first creature um that um anyone meets in narnia why is he kind of the introduction um to narnia
1: wouldn't, I mean, I assumed it was just because that's the image that started Lewis down this road. Um, yeah, I didn't think there was much reason behind it more than his own following the trail. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is pure speculation, but, um, I, you know, it, it could be, um, like I said, somewhere in the notes of oh, this is Lewis baptizing paganism mm. right out of the gate, you know, just saying, hey, this is how this world's going to work. Normally, this is, of course, children might not even be aware of what a normal fawn is, but, you know, like <laughs> at least I would hope not at that point. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, hey, this is, uh, you know, it's you, you already kind of get a sense that this this realm is is not your typical, like, pagan fairy tale essentially maybe again pure speculation and it probably may just come down to what you said that this is the image he had so let's just run with it but I mean maybe later it kind of took on that significance for for Lewis that happens a lot to writers they write something not knowing what it means and then they discover that's what it means you know (laughs) so um yeah I don't know it's 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 interesting though um it's definitely a striking image one that's one that sticks with you, so and I'm like you, I had no idea about fawns when I first read the books so <laughs> I just thought, oh, how quaint. <laughs> <laughs> this little fawn with his little umbrella and his...
1: Personal- no wonder Tolkien no. was angry, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, maybe maybe we can give Edmund credit for having read some of the right books. Since, uh, <laughs> since he's basically like, "Well, we all know how fauns are."
1: Unfortunately, um, that's true. But, Yeah, but that was only because of the Queen, right? <laughs> right, right, right. When yeah, she, she know, said, right. "Everyone knows, like, you can't, you you can't trust what fauns say," and he was like, "Oh, well, everyone, the Queen said it," so yeah. Yeah. the yeah. argument from authority rather than from literature literature is much better than authority Authority, that's right, right.
0: <laughs> uh, you no know, it's such an interesting decision i mean uh, I, and like you all were saying like i can i can see why you know this this goes to tolkien's point right um let's take a fawn but instead of having him like out playing the pipes and seducing mm-hmm. women in arcadia um yeah let's <laughs> let's uh let's Give him some parcels and uh, have him out of (laughs) snowy wood and have him take a young girl to tea and then cry because he was, you know, uh, about to like um, betray her.
1: To be be fair, like at least it is a seduction of sorts, Mm -hmm. right? Like it 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 is like it's just the miracle of its failure and his repentance and Lucy's protection through it. Which makes you think, is this a tame world? And I like, I think the the shock of finding his cave ransacked helps make it seem less safe. Um, but it still really doesn't feel dangerous, I think, until like until Aslan, um, mm. which is skipping ahead. But
0: mm. yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, it's it's funny, like to to the point that that um that you all made about um uh the fawn as as a kind of pagan figure and then this being sort of a, a baptism of of uh, paganism. Um I I think it is really um it is really interesting that yeah, like like you're saying, Annika, there are aspects of what fauns do that you know, Tom, is still doing, it's just desexualized. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, but then he's really, really, really sorry. Uh, <laughs> and he doesn't go through with it right at, at cost to mm-hmm. his own life. Right. So, so it's almost sort of a, a weird kind of like, um, you know, what, um, and, and, you know, we will, we may get to these books eventually, um, what, what we see in, uh, um, a space trilogy where Lewis, you know, finds a giant like Polyphemus up in the cave, you know, but he's good, right. Or, um, a dragon on Paralandra, right. But it's, but it's good, um, that you can make these creatures good and realize the thing that is best about them without, um, without making them stale or without making them, uh, sort of lame. Right. Um, and I think, I think Tumnus has enough about him. That's interesting that he's certainly a much more enjoyable, you know, fascinating fawn than a lot of his, you know, cousins in, in, in Greek myth. Right. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, um, it's interesting too, that, that he's kind of the, joint between the human world and the world of beasts right that he's Mm -hmm. half beast and half half human uh, which is a which is a neat little uh symbol um anyone want to say anything about the beavers before we move on to the middle
1: man
2: i I love how ordinary they are (laughs) You know, like, yes, they're talking beavers, but they're very, it's very much like, you know, just like a English couple out in the country somewhere, you know, well, we have a house and, you know, we take care of it and we eat and, you know, that's, that's how we live our lives, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I, I think it's, I think it's kind of a, it's kind of refreshing to, to just the way Lewis inserts the beavers in there, it kind of grounds a little bit, so you don't quite fly off on on just like all of the fairy tale elements again they're talking beavers so there is still a fairy tale aspect to it but um yeah they're definitely just they're they're delightfully ordinary um Mm -hmm. you know and i just i love how i just love how enthusiastic they get about aslan (laughs) it's so much fun and i'm so glad he he had the beavers tell the tell the children about aslan Mm -hmm. first um because you kind of get that it's very like there is a little bit of lofty language in there you know because they recite the verses but but for the most part it's very just like oh no he's the king I tell you you know like like duh you know Mm -hmm. um so I I think it's 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 you know refreshingly ordinary in the midst of all of this you know uh
1: unordinary ordinary and sensible right like like I think of Mrs. Beaver making sure that they had food before they ran off Mm -hmm. and being worried about her sewing machine and, yes, and packing a butter knife. And yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. But, but also really clear eyed. Like they, they saw, and as soon as Edmund, as soon as they realized Edmund had left and they're like, okay, he's a traitor. He's not lost. Like this is, this is what happened. And they were able to bring the children on board really quickly with like, Hey, by the way, your brother is is a villain here, which right. I, I I think it's really well done, but if you think about your own siblings and how hard it would be to accept that, um, that's a crazy moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. The, the beaver, you know, the beavers are, um, you know, they go from wondering whether they can trust them or not or who can we trust to finding themselves in the middle of people who are so... Um, who are so homely mm. and seem so absolutely sort of earthy and trustworthy. Right. I mean, they, they're, they're kind of characters straight out of Kenneth Graham's wind in the willows. Um, and, um, and there's, there's a, um, you know, Lewis Lewis kind of goes along these two poles, right. Of the, um, of the uh, joyful, like beyond this world sort of, um, out of your senses um, bliss of that, which is completely unearthly. And then on the other hand, uh, the earthy, the homely, right. Really enjoying a good
1: potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Yeah.
0: Good English, you know, broiled fish. Right. Um, But, um, but yeah. Uh, And and the way
1: it it
2: helps anchor the, the children, you know, Um, even, you know, it helps, I think, it's good for them to encounter these more homely, you know, creatures instead of having them run into like a band of centaurs or something, you know, like (laughs) it kind of gives them a chance to adjust better Mm -hmm. to Narnia maybe, um, you know, while they're figuring out, you know, Aslan. Um, I can't even imagine how they, how they would have reacted if like some giant centaur had been like, well, your brother's a traitor. And then, you know, like, I don't know. They didn't have, they, they probably wouldn't have been able to process it as well as they would if, you know, without that help of the, the comfort of the beaver, like they're almost a comforting presence um, because it's kind of familiar without being familiar. (laughs)
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah. 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 Good thoughts. Um, and, and the beavers are so cute. Like when when Mr. (laughs) Beaver, like kind of, uh, um, stops in front of his dam and, and waits for them to compliment him on, yes, on his dam. Yes. You know, <laughs> had a sort of modest expression on his face, it's sort what of like people have when you are visiting a garden they've made or reading a story they've written. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was yeah. only common politeness when Susan said, "What a lovely dam!" Say hush this time, but merely a trifle, merely a trifle. And it isn't really finished.
1: Um, yeah, that's the. It's not even my best work, right? I feel like that's Lewis just
2: like self inserting himself for a second in the form yeah. of the beaver. Like, well, it's you know, it's just I just wrote a thing, it's fine, <laughs>
1: oh. merely oh, a
0: trifle. And and maybe, and, and before we move on to the middle, I just want to bring up um, the other sort of hero of this book, which is Pauline Baines, um, mm. who's mm. who's illustrations are just, I mean, I know, you know, this has been published with other illustrators um, and I'm sure they're great. Um, but, um, but Pauline Bain's illustrations just make this. Um, and part of the reason that they do is because they are so homely too. She goes into detail in the, you know, when she, when she illustrates the, uh, you know, the beaver's home and uh um, even, you know, when, when spring is coming, she has illustrations of flowers, right. That are, that are coming up like two different kinds of flowers, just randomly in the, uh, in the, um, you know, margins of the book. So, um, I just think it's, um, it's, it's great. The attention to, um, to, to detail, um, that she, that she kind of provides, but, um, Let's go on to the middle. Um, who would anyone like to summarize what happens between this point and when Aslan is sacrificed?
2: The whole thing, the whole big chunk. <laughs> I can. I'll take a stab at it.
0: Awesome. Stab. Stab. Sorry. Oh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wow.
2: Oh, that's a poor choice of words on my part. <laughs> um okay, so um, so uh, what happened after dinner? Uh this is when we, you know, the beavers go into detail about about Aslan. Um, you know, they recite they tell them about the prophecy, um, that uh two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve need to sit on the thrones of care parabel to um essentially undo the White Witch, um, and so that there would be Spring and Narnia again. Um, so then, uh, that, oh, yes, and during, I guess, during this whole thing, they discover that Edmund has, is missing. So, that's when they decide to pack up and leave. They've got to go to the stone table, because the only way to save Edmund is to get to Aslan. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And, um, so then we jump over to Edmund uh, entering the witch's house, and in which all of his uh, lofty aspirations are shattered <laughs> very quickly, <laughs> um, when he discovers that he is uh, he's really not as important as the witch as he thought he was. Um, and he essentially betrays. This is where we see his betrayal. Um, he tells the witch about Aslan and the stone table. Um, and so they set off uh, towards the stone table in the hopes of doing something about Aslan. Um, so then we jump back over to the children and um, the other children, the other Pevensies. Um and they are traveling along. And spring starts to emerge. Um, they run into Father Christmas, uh, which um, is a whole other, you know, Judeo-Christian slash pagan symbol in and of itself um and uh they receive gifts which are tools not toys um to aid them in their battle upcoming battle against the white witch um and then uh, they when they reach the stone table they meet aslan um no one wants to speak to him at first (laughs) because they're all very nervous uh upon setting eyes on him um uh, Aslan takes Peter away to show him a view of Care Paravel. In the meantime Susan and Lucy get attacked by wolves and Peter has his first battle where he successfully uh, slaughters one of the wolves. The other one runs off and a party follows them to go rescue Edmund from the camp of the White Witch. Um, Aslan then informs Peter that he should always clean his sword, that's very important. (laughs) Um, so then the white witch, uh, comes to, reaches the stone table to speak to Aslan, um, and, uh, asks, or tell, not really asks, tells him (laughs) that, uh, Edmund is a traitor and therefore belongs to her, um, because of the deep magic. Um, and so Mm -hmm. she and Aslan go off, uh, where no one can hear them and have a conversation. Um, they come back. And uh Aslan says that she uh, has up Edmund um, he is he is free of her demands and uh so she goes away and everybody thinks everything's fine <laughs> and then um and then that night uh Lucy and Susan uh end up following Aslan into the woods uh where they then for a little bit and then they hide and then they witness um, aslan being killed on the stone table, which you know is the ultimate low point. So they think everything is lost. And that's that's where that section ends.
0: Great job. That was so much
1: Yay! cogent
0: than what I said for the beginning. <laughs> Good work. Um, yeah, um so let's see. Um Father Christmas. Should we start with Father mm. Christmas?
1: Father Christmas uh-huh. <laughs> money.
0: Where <laughs> should we? Or should we start with Edmund?
1: Oh, let's oh start with Edmund.
0: Let's start with Edmund.
1: Yeah, we've just been beating up on him this whole time, and there's actually pre-redemption character development, which I didn't notice yes. before. Um, but I was really thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Full disclosure: Edmund actually is my favorite. Um, oh yeah. Even even before, I mean, at. As a, when I read them as a child, I did not like him, and I actually uh, much preferred Peter and Lucy. <laughs> Those are my favorites. But I think just as you as you age and you come to a deeper understanding of, um, you know, just redemption, essentially. Um, yeah, he's he's become my favorite. Uh, so let's not beat up on him too much.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean he's he's kind of. I mean that's that's the reason that anything happens in this, in this, like we're, we're kind of all Edmund, right? Yeah. If, if Christ died for us, Aslan died for Edmund and and Edmund's there partly to uh, sort of reinforce this idea that, that Lewis mentions in other places that if you were the only person who had ever sinned, Mm -hmm. Christ would have died for you. Right. Um, which is, which is, uh, uh, powerful.
2: No, and I, I do appreciate that, um, as you, you said, the pre-region kind of development a little bit, where he's, he's slowly coming to realize, oh, I've made a poor choice. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, want, I want to figure out how to fix that poor choice, but it doesn't seem like I can by myself. And that's because he can't do it until um, he reaches Aslan, essentially. Yeah. He, doesn't, he doesn't know that that's what he needs to do yet. That that's, you
1: know, it, it wouldn't end up happening. Yeah, Uh, just, and as a window into the psychology of poor choices, Mm -hmm. um, I, I love how Lewis calls out in ways that children can really clearly understand, you know, he managed to believe or to pretend he believed that she wouldn't do anything very bad to his siblings, even as he betrayed them to a dangerous, murderous witch, you know, And he said to himself, all these people who say nasty things about her are her enemies, and probably half of it isn't true. She was jolly nice to me anyway. And just even the, wait, only half of it isn't true? Or like, if if even half of it is true, isn't isn't that still pretty bad? Um, And deep down inside him, he really knew that the White Witch was bad and cruel. Um, And I I even love seeing how like... uh, Lewis gives him the, those moments where he almost turns back, right? Where the walk to the witch, the silence and the loneliness were dreadful. In fact, I think he, and again, Lewis is inserting himself. I really think he might've given up on the whole plan and gone back and owned up and made friends with the others. If he hadn't happened to say to himself, when I'm King of Narnia, the first thing I shall do will be to make some decent roads. And of course, that set him off thinking about being a king and all the other things he would do. And this cheered him up a good deal. He had just settled in his mind what sort of palace he would have, and how many cars, and all about his private cinema, and where the principal railways would run, and what laws he would make against beavers and dams. (laughs) And it, (laughs) you also get a really good window into the things again that Lewis despises and thinks that you should not think are that great, like palaces and private cinemas and being in charge of where where the railways run like people who are in charge of those things tend to be um a little too into their power
0: (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, i i like the again this is this is kind of edmund uh, Eustace 1.0, right, of yeah. uh, the, yeah. like, oh, well, I can finally civilize this barbaric place, right, Weston, too, you know, in the space yeah. trilogy, um, but, uh, yeah, we can really make some improvements, and by improvements, I mean technology, um, mm-hmm. um, as well as, like, you know,
1: tearing down trees. Taking and- everything, yeah, 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 um,
0: yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's it's funny, it's, it's funny, too, I mean, he, he's kind of getting guff here for trying to modernize Narnia. Uh, but it's interesting that there are things in, at least at this point in Narnia that are machines, right? Um, same with the hobbits and, and, and Lord of the Rings, right?
1: right? It's okay to have a sewing machine.
0: Yeah. You can have a sewing yeah. machine. But Just not, not a private railroad. cinema. Yeah. Or, or, so, <laughs> uh, 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 which is fun. Have, have you all, have you all, um, ever looked at Boxen, which, no. uh, which is which no. is Lewis's like. Um, he and his brother created this fantasy land, um, and and it's with like
1: animals, right?
0: Yeah, with with animals, and it is pretty much like. Lewis's part of it is a little more, if I'm remembering right, a little more imaginary. Um, but it's like the animals live. Um, kind of close to you know real people um and there are railways throughout this animal land and everyone dresses up like victorian gentlemen and talks like shakespearean characters uh and uh it's 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 really kind of fun and and, it, and it's it's also like india is part of it as well like it's like india <laughs> and then like this fake country and this other fake country um and and railway is running throughout and uh and little so you've got a little mouse with a sword, right here. Uh, <laughs>
1: little mini Cheese. Uh, I know
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, and lots of like medievaly stuff, but also lots of machines, so it's it's an interesting mm-hmm. uh um you know this this is the way boys think they like rail railways,
1: um yeah, they are have cool
0: them, right uh, but um but yeah, with Edmund, obviously it's a little more like, oh, we can you know modernize this place and make it great by, you know, filling it with cinemas and cars and things like that. Um, yeah, is there is there anything else we should say about Edmund's journey? Um, yes. Uh, and we can just talk about it. There's Edmund. so
2: much to yeah, talk about.
0: So, yeah, yeah, there's a lot.
2: <laughs> we could do an entire podcast just on Edmund, yes, honestly.
0: <laughs> that is true, that is true. Um.
2: um. I guess I guess it is. It is in this section, actually. Um, where'd that go? Um, I guess the culmination of um, Edmund's journey. Well, most. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we can say the culmination is when I guess he they he gets to the stone, uh, the stone table and has um, the conversation with Aslan. We don't know what was said. Um, I've always kind of wondered that, um, but I think I think Lewis leaves it ambiguous so that we, you know, since since Edmund is us, you know, we can Mm. put whatever we need to in there. Um, But reading through it this time, um, like one of my favorite moments um, uh, that jumped out at me was uh, when the witch shows up in camp and points out that Edmund is a traitor. Um, Lewis says that, you know, everybody of course knew she meant Edmund, and um, and then he has this great quote where it says, uh, "But Edmund had got past thinking about himself. After all, through and after the talk he'd had that morning, he just went on looking at Aslan. It didn't seem to matter what the witch said. And I think, I mean, that's that's just a beautiful image of of what it means to to be redeemed. Um, even though at this point, technically, I mean, Aslan hasn't died yet, but." Um, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's really gorgeous um, that, you know, even if, no, you know, no matter what, um, you know, the enemy may say about you, um, you know, all you have to do is look to, to Aslan, to, to Christ, essentially. Um, and then everything else, all the other voices just kind of fall away at that point. Um, and you even just, the you, literal
1: rightful accuser, yeah, right? Right, the, exactly. The, the yeah. voice of the accuser. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just uh yeah, it's just it's such a beautiful image. And of course, I one that I probably obviously it's just now jumped out at me, so I didn't pick up on it you know, as I was a younger child. Um, but now it's you know, it's just it's become even more apparent, which is why part of the reason why I think that's just uh, another huge appeal of Varnia is that adults and children alike can find something in these pages. You know, it's not just for kids, you know. Um there's just there's a lot of beautiful imagery in here um, for all people of all ages.
1: Yeah, this is not a shallow tale.
2: Mm-mm, not at all.
0: Yeah. Um, let's see. So in the meantime, um, and, and we can we can come back to Edmund um, uh, again um, in, in a bit. In the meantime, the the other Pevensies are journeying with the beavers um, to the stone stone table where Aslan is. Um, and they hear sleigh bells, um, and we've been prepared for this, right? That we we know something if we're careful, right? That they don't know, which is that this is not the witch because she said, "Get my harness without the bells," right? Um, right. But but they hear sleigh bells, um, they think that maybe it is the witch. Uh, Mr. Beaver goes outside, and they um, and and he gets really excited. Comes comes down to where they're hiding out in the place for where beavers hide in bad times. Um, and, uh, um, it's father Christmas. Um, so some, some people, you know, people especially who, who read, you know, Lewis's manuscript early on really found fault with this aspect of it, that he, that he brought father Christmas in, um, to first Narnia tale, um, um, do you all think it was a mistake? do you all think how how does it how does it fit with the rest of Narnia um, uh, yeah what, what are your thoughts on this part?
1: I mean I think if we're already taking mythological figures and baptizing them and I think there's no other way in, a, in an aslan centric <laughs> um, story to also illustrate how how it's it's not just winter breaking with a thaw but it's also the good parts of winter coming through right like Christmas is the one really good thing about winter and to have it always winter and never Christmas like that is that is actually very haunting uh to children but also on a deep level if you let yourself go there um and I, I, I love that it's, it's Christmas coming, but what does Christmas mean? And, and I think also if you're coming out of England after the 1940s, like Christmas coming. Um, yeah, I think it has a lot of um, poignancy and power. And I don't know how you get Christmas without introducing Santa Claus, basically. Um, But I I do like the, it's also the the tying back in of Narnia versus our world, um, which I always appreciate as a child. Like, oh, I'm getting the real picture here in Narnia. Um, When you really see them in Narnia, it's rather different. And it's, it's again, this sort of aside. Um, Though you see people of his sort only in Narnia, which that always made me curious as a kid you see pictures of them and hear them talked about even in our world the world on this side of the wardrobe door Um, but when you really see them in narnia it's different and he's he was so big and so glad and so real that they all became quite still they felt very glad but also solemn and i it it goes again to the what joy is for lewis and i yeah, I just love it so much that I don't even care. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, no, I love it. I love it too. And it to me, it's. I mean, it would be, it would be one thing if he had put Father Christmas into the story in a like an almost in a frivolous way, like right. okay, well here's Santa Claus and he showed up. No, he didn't do that. Yeah, he, uh, he he gives them. He specifically says these are tools and not toys. You know, mm-hmm. like here here are, here are things to equip you to deal with what you were about to face um essentially you know in this book and beyond um and so I and and yeah I just love I love how solemn he is I mean he's solemn but also joyful at the same time it's yeah. just it's very nice you know so with and so that way it doesn't come across as some cheesy like look here's Santa you know <laughs> so um yeah no I, no, I love it I, I think it's great because it, it kind of grows it, it's it's funny that it's seemed more grown up and, but it's a children's book, you know, um, so I, I, I think that's, that's really well done.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I'd have to agree. I think this is the, probably the best portrayal of Santa that you, or father Christmas or whatever that you get. Um, and it's certainly better than that poem, the, the night before Christmas poem, <laughs> um, uh, you know, he, he's much more like the kind of, um, yeah, like, like, uh, I forget which of you was was saying, um, you know, like, like this old pagan figure, right. Mm -hmm. Um, that that you have in the, in the, you know, winter festivals. Um, but, um, but again, redeemed. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he left it in as well. Um, in his essay, three ways of writing for children, um, the first and, worst way that he outlines is a um a writing a, a story where you're sort of calculating oh this is the kind of thing that kids want and it's basically wish fulfillment right where oh yeah i get i get a machine with a button that makes whatever i want um <laughs> you know, and and he's kind of like that's not really the kind of thing that that might be the kind of thing that you think children want um but it's kind of empty and also probably not a very good way of of writing for children um and and i like on that note that um um as y'all were saying um these are not toys father christmas doesn't come to spoil the pevensies um white witch comes to spoil right in order to take right in order to um, in order to trick Um, but your friends give you things that are um, useful and also hard to use like a sword Um, and uh, um, yeah I I appreciate this um, uh, non infantilizing but actually like Father Christmas who causes you to grow up right mm-hmm. rather than rather than the Father Christmas that keeps you a kid, um so um so yeah, um and then he's got you know he's got stuff for the grown ups too, he's got stuff for Mr. and Mrs. Beaver as well, That's um, true. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, I love
1: that sewing machine,
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> locks and bolts make no difference to me, said father Christmas yeah. <laughs> uh, which, is, which is great, um. But um, yeah, he's kind of like when I when I was thinking about this, I was thinking you know, um, you get into dualism, right? As as Lewis like famously said, if you make the devil the opposite of God, right? Um, Which it 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 doesn't really work, Um, and so the devil is more the opposite of like Michael or some other angel, right? A created being. Um, So I kind of think of Father Christmas here as being sort of the opposite of. The devil figure. The
1: white um, white witch.
0: The white witch, yeah, yeah, Yeah. because they both have sleighs, right? Um, Oh, um, yeah. They both have reindeer pulling the sleighs. They're both associated with winter. Um,
1: They both have gravitas.
0: Mm hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And they both give things, right? Um, It's just when the white witch does it, it's oh, yeah, kid, you can have anything you want, you know, just wish for it. Um, and then I will lure you to my house and put you, (laughs) make sure that that prophecy is never fulfilled. Right. Where, whereas father Christmas is acting as an agent of, of the prophecy, um, and, Mm. um, and is Mm. giving them things that they need, even if they're not things that they want. Um, and he's, you know, despite being associated with the cold, he's very warm, um, which is, um, I think I think
2: that's a definitely a marked difference too, which is an important thing to lose is that Father Christmas is joyful, whereas the white witch is clearly not. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> And so um you know that just that like, hey, kids, this is what it means to be truly joyful. Um, this This is what you know makes something good um, is that that expression of joy, finding joy. Um, I mean, cause he, he really is, he's just really happy that it's Christmas and he got into Narnia again, you know? Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just, I think, yeah, I think you're onto something there with that contrast between Father Christmas and the White Witch. Um, I almost wish Lewis would have explored that more. Maybe he didn't intend that. Maybe that was another one of those weird writer things that
1: happened.
0: Maybe they're brother and sister.
1: (gasps) (laughs) We're gonna find Father Christmas in (laughs) Carn. Yeah,
0: yeah, there you go. Got out just in time to gifts all the good gentile children of the world. Uh, Yeah. Um Okay. So let's see. Um, so, so yeah, winter is breaking down, right? Spring is coming. It's interesting um, that you have this almost combination of Christmas and Easter here, right? Mm-hmm. That, that for, for British people, definitely Easter marks the end of winter. Christmas doesn't really mark the end of winter. Um, at least I don't think so. Um, if if they live in our hemisphere, um, I mean, you know, uh, the Northern hemisphere. Um, but, um, but yeah, they're kind of, they're, they, they kind of seem to be um, sort of um, especially since this is a resurrection tale, not just a coming of Aslan tale, but a, but a resurrection tale, you've got a kind of um, Easter feel to all of the, you know, um, flowers blooming and things like that. Um, so it's like we go straight from Christmas to Easter, um, skipping some, ordinary time um
1: skipping Lent skipping like, Lent. Yeah, like yeah. most importantly like uh Narnia has been in a very long Lent
0: yeah like, yeah and I I feel, I I feel
1: you Narnia I move <laughs> I move
0: that we skip Lent this upcoming year <laughs> based on the fact that we've been in Lent for
2: we've Lented enough yeah oh yeah. my gosh
0: um, yeah. so you know God or Archbishop of whatever if, <laughs> if you're listening um so um
1: i mean we're all anglicans we can all appeal to yeah. the same archbishop right? that's right i forget yeah. i forget
0: yeah. who it is um mine's foley who's
2: yours? yeah foley yeah
0: yeah okay yeah. so foley archbishop foley, foley. Let's get foley. foley if, you're, if you're listening yeah. right now this <laughs> just <gets you> <laughs> <laughs> next
2: next <laughs> Make it happen
1: <laughs> of all the people who will not be <laughs> listening to our podcast, <laughs> he's at the uh, top. oh wow well.
0: yeah. um, okay, so Internet. let's see so <laughs> peter's Peter's first battle, he kills a wolf. you've got Peter and the wolf, right? Uh,
1: oh, which right.
0: is which is fun. Um,
1: Peter wolf, Spain.
0: Um, mm-hmm. I' get a
1: new name, yeah,
0: yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, Peter Sir Peter Wolf Spain, is that is mm-hmm.
1: that right?
0: hmm Um so anything anybody wants to say about the Peter and the Wolf?
1: Um, I love that I I as a kid I love this description um because I could never follow battle scenes in any books mm-hmm. and I still can't, like and I would read like lots of space and other fantastical things where there are like X-wing fighters and like all sorts of dog fights happening. And I, I could never, never follow it. And I love that this, I mean, this seems like what a, a fight would be to me. Um, quick as lightning. Uh, and it was all, um, everything was blood and heat and hair. A moment later he found that the monster lay dead. Um, it's very evocative, but very simple and quick, easy to follow. I appreciate it. And I also appreciate the, the Peter did not feel very brave. Indeed, he felt he was going to be sick, but that made no difference to what he had to do. Um, especially because Peter is the one who often does feel brave and aspires. Like he, he's high spirited. He, he always wants to find an eagle or go exploring and isn't afraid of anything. But here his sister is in mortal danger from a wolf and he he at, at that, that moment he is not um yeah it's not feeling brave and it's showing to, to children to all of us like you don't courage isn't the absence of the fear, it's just doing what you have to do in the moment and trusting that it will be all right. Um and then you get some really great uh instructions from aslan that we we will remember forever because he also told him not just once but even after he uh after he knighted him at that very solemn occasion what did he tell him chris
0: rise up sir peter wolf spain and whatever happens never forget to wipe your sword um yeah never so. forget
1: to wipe your- i mean he had like no time between the first i, I was always like what like you've forgotten to clean your sword and that's like he susan just came down from the tree and they were like reuniting and aslan was sending people to hunt and then he turns and sees and aslan chides him for not Mm -hmm. cleaning his sword before greeting his sister i Yeah.
0: yeah i think i think i don't read it as as um I mean, I, I I think I might have it first, um, but Aslan is very manic in, um, which is which is something that Megan was pointing out, um, yeah. um, and and we we should probably talk about about that. Um, but he jokes a lot in this, um, and it kind of goes to what you know wow. Michael Ward sort of discovered about um, you know the different Narnia books. Um,
1: corresponding with planets
0: right right and this one is jupiter right it's just kind of jovial version of Mm -hmm. aslan right Mm -hmm. that he's that he's making all kinds of little jokes throughout you know the like telling him to wipe his sword twice right um which is a bizarre thing to say Um, and I, i i can't really think of any other way to take it other than he's just like saying stuff Comes to his mind, (laughs) Uh,
2: like I feel like he said it with like a twinkle in his eye, like right. Never forget to wipe your sword, you know.
1: (laughs) And even noticing Peter's blush, maybe like oh, 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 like I, I did this big thing, but then I forgot to do the cleanup. Like I forgot to, to do it with the right sort of, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the right etiquette.
0: Yeah. Is there, is there anything else that we can get from never? Cause we've got, we've got these like repeated. So the repeated injunction to wipe your sword. And then at the beginning, the repeated oh, yeah. reminder of never mm. ever close the wardrobe door behind you. And every time anybody goes through the wardrobe door, we get this, you know, never
1: only don't. Edmund does it. Cause he's like, his spite makes him stupid for a moment. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. 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 Um, but uh, but but yeah, um, they're are interesting sort of you know nuggets that you can take away with you um, and the, apply them elsewhere.
2: The word the "wardrobe instruction" makes sense because you know he's ready for children. He doesn't want children to shut themselves into wardrobes, obviously. I don't know of a lot of children who own swords, <laughs> so you know. <laughs> So I'm not really sure if, if that's <coughs> actually direct. That like, okay, children, if you have your sword, wipe it. You know, but I'm and 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 I don't know quite enough about. Um, there's some uh, connection to something in medieval etiquette that I'm not aware of that has to do with wiping your sword. <laughs> I don't know what it is. There's some like great secret about about that. Other than just like, well, if you don't clean your sword, it's probably gonna rust. Or or get ruined eventually,
1: or just be it's really cracked. gross.
2: Yeah, or just yeah, or just gross.
0: I mean, I hope he's not following that like obsessively during the battle that happens, right? <laughs> like every time he stabs somebody, he like goes and wipes the sword on both sides, and he stabs the next person. Um, that would be disastrous, you know. And or he's Peter. just he's just a kid, you know. And he's
1: yeah. How old is he in this story? Are we assuming like twelve ish? I don't know if it says.
0: That's what I imagine him as around twelve, but I'm I have no idea. Just yeah, I don't that think Lewis ever says
1: four of them at different ages, and that Edmund was a year ahead of Lucy and had just started that new school. Mm-hmm. We would assume Peter was three years in anyway. Yeah. Yeah
0: well i don't yeah maybe maybe peter just decided he couldn't hack it in that new school and had to be privately tutored Um,
1: (laughs) it sounds familiar yeah yeah
0: thanks for joining us we hope you'll come again next week for our third and final discussion of the lion the witch in the wardrobe on the inklings variety hour
2: encounter, full of joy, unscheduled on the decent fan, with here an addict of Tolkien, there a Charles Williams stand.